Hello, thanks for joining us. This is Astronomy Daily, where we take a look at all the latest in astronomy and space science news. My name is Andrew Dunkley, your host, and joining me as always is Hallie. Hi, Hallie. How are you? Great. Thanks, Andrew. How was your weekend? Well, you should know, we absolutely wiped the floor with Siri and Hal, didn't we? Yeah, we sure did. I told you just to keep hitting it at Siri and we'd be fine. She's about as skillful at Pong as you are. That's a bit rough. I mean, I'm only human. Exactly my point. Yeah, okay. Well, we won, so that's a good thing. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley. Anyway, hit us with the headlines. NASA has decided to wait until November to launch the Artemis 1 test flight of the Space Launch System rocket and Orion spacecraft. After Hurricane Ian forced the agency to roll Artemis 1 back to the safety of the vehicle assembly building. Artemis 1 is an uncrewed test of SLS Orion around the moon and can only launch during certain periods when the Earth, moon and sun are in the proper position relative to each other to meet test objectives. The next launch period is October 17th to 31st. NASA hasn't ruled out an October launch, but it would be difficult. At a minimum, NASA needs to test and possibly replace a critical battery in the flight termination system that is difficult to access and the workforce is not expected to be back to full strength until next week. The November launch window runs from November 12th to 27th. The U.S. Space Development Agency is now officially part of the Space Force. The Space Development Agency was formed inside the Pentagon in 2019 to help accelerate the use of commercial space technology and was officially transferred to the U.S. Space Force on October 1. U.S. Congress mandated the transfer in the 2021 National Defense Authorization Act due to concerns that there are too many organizations running space programs. Skywatchers in some parts of the world will have a bit of a show later this month, when a partial eclipse of the sun occurs on October 25. About 82% of the sun's disk will be obscured by the moon's shadow at the event's maximum, known as the point of central eclipse. Eclipses happen when the moon passes between the earth and the sun and casts a shadow on part of the planet either fully or partially blocking the light from the sun. During this partial eclipse, the sun will appear as if a huge bite has been taken out of it and will be seen in Africa, Asia, Europe, the North Pole and Russia. NASA's James Webb Space Telescope has spotted the oldest star clusters ever seen. These clumps of millions of stars might include the first and oldest stars in the universe, according to the researchers who found them. The discovery came from scientific analysis of Webb's first deep field image. Scientists have found that five of the globular clusters in the Sparkler galaxy are some of the oldest ever spotted. The clusters are so old that they were probably born almost as soon as it became possible to form stars, around 3 billion years after the Big Bang. Scientists are watching a galaxy roughly a billion light-years away which could be home to two supermassive black holes which are set to collide. When it happens, astronomers believe it could teach us a lot about black holes and, perhaps, unlock more about the mysteries of the universe. The possibility of these two black holes colliding seems imminent and are located in the center of the galaxy SDSS, J1430 plus 2303, over a billion light-years away. It's hard to say exactly what is happening, and even more difficult to confirm the existence of these two black holes. However, we do know that black holes can collide, and if we can observe it, it could teach us a lot. And that's the news, Andrew. 
Thanks, Hallie. Gee, there's a lot happening, isn't there? And uh, good news about Artemis 1 potentially getting off the ground October, but more likely November. Let's keep our fingers crossed. They keep running into little, uh, little difficulties, but it'll happen eventually. Now to other events in astronomy and space science. Astronomers uh, have been uh, routinely discovering exoplanets. These are planets that orbit stars beyond our own solar system. And they've discovered well over 5,000 with many more yet to be uh, catalogued. Well, uh, there have been a couple of big announcements through NASA uh, because they have found not only exoplanets, but exoplanets that are considered similar to Earth. And that's very exciting because that may mean that there are livable planets out there and that could mean there's already life. And that's one of the things that uh, astronomers and scientists around the world are hoping that we can overcome one day in terms of its mystery. We really need to know, don't we? Now, one of those planets that's recently been discovered is a bit bigger than Earth. It's 30% larger than our planet, and it orbits its star in less than three days, which means you're going to get old really fast. Uh, the other one is quite a bit bigger, 70% larger than Earth. And what's exciting astronomers about that one is they think it might have a deep ocean. Now, these two exoplanets are called super-Earths. I don't really like that terminology. It's a popular press phrase, but let's just call it that. They're more massive than Earth, basically, is what that means, uh, but uh, smaller than Uranus and Neptune. Now, uh, Earth is still the only place in the universe that we know of that houses life, uh, but it would seem logical that the focus of the search for life beyond here should be on planets that are like Earth. So it's exciting whenever they find one and they're finding more and more of them. There are probably billions of them out there. Research has shown that the best chance astronomers have of finding life on another planet is to find one on a so-called super-Earth, similar to our planet here. And who knows, they could actually be better than Earth for sustaining life. They're already starting to show there are planets out there that are that are better than ours, but we've adapted to this one, so not better for us, but better for life in general is what they're talking about. So we'll watch with interest and, and see where this leads. Um, most of these so-called super-Earths orbit cool dwarf stars, which are lower in mass and live much longer than our sun, and there are hundreds of these cool dwarf stars for every star like ours. So they're much more common, which is a, another good sign in the process of looking for these, uh, these habitable worlds. So a couple more have been found. Uh, there are probably plenty more out there. We're going to keep finding them. Then it's, it comes down to finding ways of uh, looking at them and, and seeing what's going on in their atmosphere. Are there gases forming that are not natural or is there uh, some other light source? Uh, are they emitting signals that could only be made by intelligent beings? All of these things will come to fruition eventually, sooner rather than later, I do hope. Now, I know with all the excitement of the James Webb Space Telescope, we tend to forget about Hubble, but it's still out there, it's still doing its job, and it's doing fantastic work. 
and it's been observing lots of galaxies. Some of them are pretty weird-looking, others seem fairly boring. Uh, recently, Hubble looked at NGC 5495, which is about 300 million light-years from Earth, and you, you wouldn't just um, know by looking at it, but this galaxy has some pretty big uh, events happening at its core, lots of action there. It's known as a CFIT galaxy, which basically means it's got a very active nucleus. And the reason is there is a supermassive black hole uh, right in the middle of this thing, and it is very hungry. It is consuming gas and dust and re uh, releasing very bright uh, radiation as it uh, munches away at the centre of this galaxy. Now, astronomers want to know more about this particular monster, in particular its mass, and that's why they're using the Hubble Space Telescope to do the observations. It has a wide-field camera, well-suited to image the, uh, the core of a galaxy and separate out the various light sources nearby so they can zero in on the region around the black hole. Now, galaxies with active nuclei are rather fascinating, uh, rather fascinating places. Uh, most look pretty normal as far as the naked eye is concerned, uh, particularly through optical telescopes. But if you observe them in other wavelengths like X-rays or ultraviolet or infrared, their cores stand out uh, like um, lighthouses and they're usually brighter than anything else in the galaxy. And as Fred Watson and I have discussed on Space Nuts, if our galaxy wasn't uh, shrouding its centre in dust, our sky would be much, much brighter at night. Uh, so that tells you something about how energetic this particular galaxy is. Now, that uh, brightness is actually a death scream of sorts, so the scientists say. Uh, matter accretes uh, onto the black hole and gets superheated by the high-speed collisions, uh, and that creates uh, a, a bit of a mess that gives off light across uh, a lot of the electromagnetic magnetic spectrum. About 10% of all galaxies are CFITs, and they were probably quasars early in their histories. So they are pretty exciting to discover and uh, very, very interesting to study. So uh, this one uh, is one of particular interest and hopefully if they can unravel what's going on, we'll learn a lot more about black holes. They seem to be, uh, they, they, they are one of the things that we get the most questions about when it comes to uh, the question time at the end of our Space Nuts episode. So not surprising that this one uh, would obviously spawn a lot of questions as well. And they're questions that one day we hopefully will be able to answer. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley. Last but not least, uh, astronomers have discovered a graveyard, a very big area of dead stars. And we all know that stars die. Uh, the brightest ones die faster than those that are slow burners. And the brightest stars are uh, the ones that consume their hydrogen within a few million years, and then they explode in a, a brilliant supernova. Well, uh, their core remains collapsed and uh, turns into a neutron star or even a black hole, depending if uh, on the mass of that star. These small, dark objects are all through our galaxy. Uh, both neutron stars and stellar black holes are very difficult to find. Neutron stars are only about 15 kilometres across. Stellar black holes are even smaller 
and don't give off any light of their own. Some appear as micro quasars when they uh, chew on a companion star, but most would uh, only be seen when they pass between us and a more distant star. So they're very hard to detect. Now, we haven't observed enough of these um, stellar remains to create an observed map of their overall location, but a recent study in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society has modelled where we might find them. And they look at the distribution of stars in our galaxy and simulate how the stellar remains might be moved around. Uh, The team that looked at this found one aspect of their distribution was quite surprising. About a third of these old dead stars are being ejected from the galaxy. Uh, In the modelling, a third of the stars have experienced a close stellar encounter that's given them such a speed bump that they eventually escape the gravitational pull of the Milky Way. Put that another way, the ghosts are leaving the graveyard. Uh, That means over time the Milky Way is evaporating or losing mass, which was not expected. Uh, We know that these small clusters of stars, such as globular clusters, can evaporate, but the Milky Way is much more massive, so you would think that long-term evaporation would be minimal. Another aspect of the modelling that surprised is that these early stellar masses are fairly evenly distributed throughout the Milky Way. Most stars should have a stellar remnant within 100 light years of them. Uh, For the Sun, the most likely distance of the closest stellar remnant is 65 light years. So we could have a celestial ghost in our own backyard and not even know it. Uh, As more surveys uh, come online, Uh, and there's one being done through the Rubin Observatory, we're likely to catch uh, microlensing events and discover where these stellar remains actually are. It's fascinating, isn't it? Graveyards in space, who'd have thunk it? Well, that's just about it. Anything more from you to finish up, Hallie? No, just enjoy the rest of you long weekend in New South Wales. I will. Thanks, Hallie. We'll catch you tomorrow. And that's it from us for today. Don't forget to chase us up on our website, spacenuts.io. Click on the Astronomy Daily tab and catch up on all of those stories and more. And while you're there, subscribe to the free newsletter. And listen to the latest episode of Space Nuts while you're at it. And you can visit the Space Nuts shop and, well, whatever else you like. Until next time, this is Andrew Dunkley for Astronomy Daily. The Astronomy Daily Podcast with Andrew Dunkley.